Hello, I'm Rick Millenthal, and welcome to Voices of Resilience. Today, our guests are Elaine and Nate Goldberg, the founders of Melissa's House, dedicated to improving lives of people facing mental illness. They're joining us to share an inspiring and brave story of adversity, love, and resilience. Elaine and Nate, this is a perfect story for our series. I'm so pleased to have both of you here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us, Rick. I think it's best to start with Melissa because Melissa's house is named after her. And would you mind sharing your story and and her story with us? Sure. Love to. Uh, Melissa was, as I used to say when she was a baby, She's going to be the first woman president of the world. She had so much tenacity, so much strength. And she was a kind of kid that until she did it perfectly, she never stopped. I remember taking her to the grocery store when she was like four or five and she'd sit down in the middle of the aisle because she was intent on learning how to tie her shoes. And she would sit there and sit there until she did it right. She was a fabulous athlete, a fabulous student. She went to Columbus School for Girls and graduated in 1987. She, no, 88, sorry. She um, went on to Washington University. She got the, we would plead with her to get a B. That's how intent she was on being the best at everything. And she really worked hard to be there. Not only was she a good athlete and a good student, but absolutely beautiful on top of it all. And a friend that everybody loved. So she had it all going for her. Uh, her freshman year in Washington University went really, really well. Her sophomore year, we got a call from her roommate saying, Melissa's acting really weird. We're not sure what's going on. So we ran up there and took her home. And the we finally got her to a psychiatrist who in the early, very early stages stated that she was bipolar, which we later found out was the typical first diagnosis. She would not believe it. She would not go back again. She would not take the meds. She enrolled herself at Ohio State University in the honors program and went there for the rest of her sophomore year and proceeded to go back to Wash U her junior year and continued to go downhill. Uh, she did go to a therapist there. I think for even starting her freshman year, I'm not really sure. Um, But she only heard what she wanted to hear and would never own up to the fact that she had something wrong with her. And I think that goes back to the stigma associated with mental illness. And that was back in 1991, 92. So it was very different than it is today. But I do believe the stigma still exists, and that's what prevents so many people from getting the help that they need because of the stigma. And 
I remember sitting in my home and my sunroom when she was 21 and having my insurance company call and say, Melissa has already used her $1 million worth of insurance for mental illness. And we were only one or two years into the illness, and that was through hospitalization and uh, which she was in and out several, several times. Did you decide to share the story right away or did it take you a while? Because it's really brave to do so for the reasons Elaine said. People don't always understand. So did you decide we're going to share this right away or did you have to come to that? Well, actually, when she first became ill, we didn't share it because we, too, did not understand it. And were I don't want to say embarrassed, but uncomfortable about it. I'll never forget, we, the, a psychiatrist told us that mental illness is hereditary and where in our families was it? And my mother at the time was the only living parent we had. So we went to her and she said, it's not in our family. It must be in dates. So that was pretty much telling of the stigma that it does have because she wouldn't own up to it that was in our family. So um, I think that's part of it. And when we first started Melissa's house or thinking about it, we uh, that's when we finally started talking about it. But that was a year and a half after she died. And I, I mean, we did talk about it a lot while she was living. I mean, it was 15 years. So we actually did talk about it probably a year into her, her illness. Was it the same for you, Nate? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I mean, to tell you, once we started talking about it, uh, if we'd be out to lunch with somebody or we're out doing something else, once we started to talk about it, uh, everybody had a story. They either had a parent, brother, sister, cousin, friend, or what have you. And we didn't realize the breadth of the problem until we started talking to people. And all of a sudden we said, my God, we can't believe it. This many people have friends or relatives with a mental issue, and there's no funding, there's no discussion. so, you know, it's much easier now because people more recognize uh, the issue at this point in time uh, as opposed to uh, what happened, you know, the 15 years ago. So when you began to talk about it, that liberated others to talk about it? No, absolutely no question. And these, some of these people maybe were friends that you felt you knew much about? and now learn more about once you started to share your story? Friends, and actually, when we started uh, thinking about Melissa's house, we actually uh, had a board of healthcare professionals helping us with trying to plan what we were going to do. And what we were actually going to do in the beginning was to build a home for 10 people with a mental health issue because we never found the proper residential facility for Melissa that we felt we could 
see our loved one there for the rest of her life because we didn't know what we would do with Melissa as we aged and weren't going to be around anymore. So that's when we decided to build Melissa's house, a residential facility for 10 people. And we did this for five years, working with healthcare professionals. And then, and we would bring in speakers to talk publicly. And we'd have two, we did this for about five years and we would have 200 people at a time come and they would feel more comfortable talking about it after we brought it up. So that's where it really, really started to open up and have people bring out their issues too. And we would get calls from all over people saying, I lost a loved one. Could you tell me where to go for this? Could you tell, I don't know what to do. I'm at my wit's end. And it just kept blossoming and getting bigger and bigger. And as we were doing this, we were looking for land to build a facility. And what we found is people didn't want us in their neighborhood. Hannah contacted us and said, we'd love for you to build a facility in our in this one particular area. We said, great, we would love to. We looked at it. We liked the property. We bought the property. And people came out. It went before council in Gahanna. And the doctors in the area, the dentists, orthodontists came out and said, we don't want these people living in our neighborhood. We don't want these people near our patients. And then there were 32 condominiums that came out from the property. And they said, well, what if these people walk down our street? And I said, what if anybody walks down your street? And they said, well, we can't have these people in our neighborhood. And it got voted down because these people could be a danger. That's what people don't understand. The people with mental illness are everybody. They're our next door neighbor. They're our wife, our husband. They're one in four people experience a mental illness in their lifetime. And there would be many more than that if people felt comfortable getting help, but they don't. Yeah, you know, it really turned out to be a blessing in disguise because after we thought about it for a period of time, we said, you know, if we build a, if we build a home, we're going to benefit 10 people. And we said, you know, out of all the people in the universe, only benefiting 10 people, it's, it's, really not going to work to anybody's advantage. So what we decided to do was to go into existing homes and improve the common areas. And so we started putting in uh, thirty-five dollars to $40,000 into different homes in Columbus, improving the common areas, putting in a flat screen TV, uh, redoing the carpeting, redoing the painting on the walls, redoing the kitchens. And uh, this has worked out beautifully because every time we do this remodeling, we're benefiting 40 to 50 people. And so over a course of a year, we're able to, uh, by doing three or four facilities, we're able to benefit, uh, uh, you know, close to, to 200 folks with with mental problems and the satisfaction that we get out of it. And we can, we know this because uh, we've had people come to, to speak at our golf outings. These people are so happy 
with what we've done and we've improved their standard of living so greatly that it's, uh, it really means something uh, uh, to them and, and certainly to us. And the most important part of doing the community spaces is that this population tends to isolate and what we want to do is to bring them out so that they can share and be together and not be feeling so alone. So that is why we do the common areas. It's been shown that the use of color, art, pleasant furnishings, and other components of a warm environment, it, that this tends to advance the people with mental health issues, giving them hope and helping with recovery. So you started this how long ago and and how long is this endeavor? Six years ago. Six years ago. We changed strategy six years ago and we have helped 1,200 to 1,500 individuals and families so far. And the way we do this is we find the qualified housing and we haven't had to find it. They come to us and we use a design team to after they tell us what they want done, we use a design team who offer their services at no charge to help us with getting the furniture and designing it. Essentially, uh, we put in a substantial uh, amount of money ourselves initially to get this uh, to get this thing started. On an annual basis, we have a golf outing in which uh, it's absolutely incredible. We raise about $125,000 through our golf outing. And uh, I think it's as much as any of the golf outings that are in the communities. I might just add a little bit that what our fundraiser main event is, it's a play for Melissa's house. It's a dinner and a dinner for hope. So it's two different functions that come together in one evening. We also this year did a 2020 campaign. We partnered with NAMI of Ohio to help during the COVID-19 campaign in April to give monies to people that that need critical supplies that have mental health uh, issues. It's just a wonderful journey. Let me go back a bit. When you were experiencing this with Melissa, what did you see in those facilities that motivated you to do this and think it was a need? We could never find a place in Ohio that met our her needs. So we reached out to New England where they had multitude of facilities. And the way we found them is when she was at Ohio State in Harding, uh, George Harding came up to us one day and said, we can't keep Melissa here any longer. She ran away. She ran to the railroad tracks. We're not capable of treating her. Here are some suggestions. One was McLean Hospital in Belmont, Massachusetts. So we went and visited and decided that that would probably be a good place for her. And we had to actually charter a flight to get her there. And she was in the hospital there for about three to four months when they said, we think she's okay to go to, on our grounds, we have a halfway house 
called Appleton, and we think she's would be a good fit to go there. So that's where she went from the hospital. And this was costing, all these places were private, and it was costing five to six thousand dollars a month back in 1993, 94. Then they finally said, I think she can move on to another facility. And we went to Gould Farms in the Berkshires, which was an active working farm with 600 acres where everybody who was there, and there were about 40 people at a time who were residents there, either worked on the farm, made tea bags, worked on the housekeeping, worked in the kitchen. They all had jobs to do. And it was a fantastic, fantastic place with animals and grounds and housing. But still, once again, the furniture was still not what you would expect when you're paying that kind of money and didn't look like a place that you wanted to heal. But the, at all these places, the health care was fabulous. So when she finally, after seven years, I think, no, it was 10 years in New England, we decided we should bring her home because we thought maybe that would help because she wasn't really improving that terribly much. She just never accepted the fact that she had a mental health issue. It was the rest of the people were crazy and she was fine. And Unfortunately, I found myself saying to her often, she was like a one-man football team fighting the opponent. And she just would never, never, ever accept anything was wrong with her. And it was very hard for her to be home when her brother would come with his two daughters. And, And he was only 11 months older than her. And she realized she was never going to have the life that she thought she would have. And seeing people around Columbus that were, had gone to school with her and the life they were leading, it was just very, very difficult for her to accept. And she never really did. With that significant change, the girl that left and went to St. Louis and a girl that when you visited her and then started on this journey of helping her, was it hard for you to accept too? It had to be almost shocking. I think a lot of the time for me, it was like an out of body experience. I just plowed forward and Nate and I, were like yin and yang. If he was down, I was up. If I was down, he was up. And that's very unusual in a marriage when you have a child that has a problem that you work well together. And we we did. I I mean we had to. How long have you been married? Nate. Fifty four years. She was testing you, Nate. August will be fifty five. I keep telling him he's still on probation, not to say 55. So that's why he said 54. I said, don't count your chickens. Exactly. You know, one of the issues that we had back then, when you have somebody that's mentally ill, particularly back then, we never realized that potentially it would be genetic. 
we started to look at ourselves and we said, what type of argument did we have when they, you know, when she was younger that might've created this. And we had a, a very negative feeling towards ourselves because we said, Hey, this thing was created. This illness was created because of something that we did. But over a period of time, we, we then uh, realized and we're talking to different professionals that, uh, you know, it had nothing to do with what we did or didn't do in her younger years. But it's just one of those things that that happens and it could be genetic. It could be any number of things. But uh, the attitude, you know, as, as Elaine mentioned about my mother-in-law, uh, Nobody wanted to talk about illnesses and where this came from. I had an uncle who was mentally ill, who was institutionalized for years and years and years. And I didn't realize until I was 20 years old, or I wasn't told until I was 20 years old, that this uncle even existed. So the the old attitude of shh, we can't talk about this and this thing is so miserable and you know the attitudes have changed our attitudes have changed we certainly talk about it more at this period of time but uh the the uh the amount of time that she was in just to backtrack a little bit in these various homes Frankly, people would have become mentally ill from living in these homes because it was so depressing to have, you know, paper towels and different colored rooms and no new furniture or no new anything. And, and uh, so this is what gave us the, the, the passion to get started with Melissa's house and, and uh, kind of go from there. That was interesting what you just said. It's your feeling that here you were finding the place for your daughter, doing everything you can, but that the facilities themselves, especially physically, the facilities themselves could actually exacerbate their mental illness. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, it's like when you buy a home, you make a home to your tastes. And if you have a, a negative attitude about your house, it's, uh, it can be somewhat, uh, somewhat depressing. And uh, we were so, so concerned because when you would walk into these homes, it was just absolutely the worst. And everybody hung out and, and you could see that nobody had even the, the least bit of any kind of satisfaction or happiness uh, at all. And, and uh, so we felt that if these people could at least live in a place that were some like, somewhat like a home rather than a mental home, that they would be that much better off. How in the end... Did you lose Melissa? She was in and out of the hospital at Ohio State about three times once she came home from New England. And 
the last time that uh, our granddaughters were here, a few days later, we could see that she was really spiraling down. And we were going to, she had an appointment with the doctor anyway, and we went up there and he said to her, I think you need to be in the hospital, but we can't keep having you come back here. You're going to have to go to the state hospital. And she looked at him and she said, I promise you this will be the last time I'm in the hospital. And then she w was admitted to the hospital. And I said, do you want me to bring this? Do you want me to bring that? No, 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 I'm fine. Don't bring anything. And uh, she was there for about a week. And I got a call on a Saturday morning. Nate had just walked out the door to go to Michigan State to the Ohio State-Michigan game. And I get a call at 5 to 8 saying, we couldn't wake Melissa up. And I went, what? What are you saying? Because he had a foreign accent. I couldn't understand what he was saying. He said, she's always the first one up, and we couldn't wake her up. And then he finally said, she died. So. Luckily, I ran out the door. I caught Nate before he left. She had seizures that she had developed, and we're not exactly sure how they developed, if it was from the ECT treatments or it was the fact that she didn't take her medication on a regular basis or what it was, but she developed uh, seizures, and she had a brain aneurysm and died. They did 15 bed checks every 15 minutes, but they did it from the door. So they had no idea how long she had been dead that they hadn't seen her. But you really feel by what she said that maybe she just felt she was losing the fight. Yeah, she was ready. No, no question. No question. Do you have advice for other families that are dealing with this all over the world? You know, we are approached so often, and I, I think the best advice I could give would be just be supportive and helpful and try and let them talk about it and be open about it and share it and make sure that the whole family knows and the whole family is actively involved in saying, what can I do for you? How can I help? And then not you know, only asking, but taking it upon yourself to be proactive and, and help. What do you think it's like for these families right now during this pandemic? And what do you think it's like for people facing this challenge? I think it's difficult. And I think many more people are having, their depression is coming out not only because of not being able to do things, but loss of jobs. And it's still at the point where companies don't recognize mental illness as an illness, and people often get fired when they discuss it. So they're hesitant to say anything about it. They're hesitant to get the help because it'll get back to their employer and they will possibly get fired. So it's very, very difficult. I forgot to add, I just want to add, we have had tremendous support from a couple of families who have lost children to suicide. And they call us and say they've gotten donations 
from family and from friends and they didn't know what to do with the money up until now. And now that they see Melissa's house, they have given the money to Melissa's house in memory of their loved one. And it's quite gratifying that we have made that impact on other families. The big difference is now, when you talk about it, people aren't shushing and, and trying to get away from it. Because again, as we mentioned before, uh, because of the fact that one out of four people uh, tend to have a mental problem, everybody in their family has an issue. And I know years ago when I used to talk about it with people, they would never come out and say, I have a relative or I have this person or I have that person because they were ashamed. But now when we bring it up to people, everybody's got a story. So people are more interested. They may not have a, a knowledge as to what to do about it, but they're certainly uh, have an interest and are much more willing to talk about it. But again, you've got to bring it up first to say what your situation was, or I don't think people would tend to, to bring it up. The theme of Melissa's house is hope. Do you have hope? Yes. I, I, I don't know. In our lifetime, we're going to see a big improvement, but I think in time, it will be treated like any other illness. It's just that the funding is not there. It is not being funded, and it the brain is a mystery. So it's very, very difficult. There's not one cure, like for a broken leg. You can do this, that, or the other, and eventually it's going to heal. Nate, how about you? Do you have hope? I do have a ton of hope now. Elaine and Nate, you are awesome. What a great story of resilience. I'm so glad you shared it. It's brave to share it. Brave for what you're doing. And now you're affecting uh, hundreds of lives, which then affect thousands of lives. So you're changing the world. Um, honored to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Thank you very much. What a powerful story from Elaine and Nate Goldberg on how they turned this devastating loss into a drive to improve the lives of those facing mental health challenges. To learn more on how this initiative is bringing hope to thousands of people, visit melissashouse.org. Thanks for joining us.